Bye. Cricket is back. It's October and the sounds of bat and ball are finally ringing out across regional cricket comps throughout Western Australia. Welcome to episode two of Out on the Paddock. My name is Rob Marshall and this podcast is brought to you by the WA Country Cricket Board, who definitely celebrate that cricket is back. The response so far to this new podcast has simply been phenomenal and we thank you, the listener, for tuning in. So strap yourself in for another episode of Important Country Cricket Updates. We're talking Women's Country Week, Australian Country Cricket Championships, the WA Country 11 and much more in this episode, as well as a session with a fantastic stalwart of WA Country Cricket, someone who has a great journey to tell, the Midwest's Mr Cricket himself, Jared Marquis. Simply enjoy episode two of Out on the Paddock. It's an exciting time of the year for WA regional cricket. Spring is in the air and cricket competitions everywhere are kicking off all around regional Western Australia, whether that be men's, women's, juniors or other competitions. It truly is an exciting time of the year. My name's Rob Marshall. It's great to have you joining us again on Out on the Paddock. And uh, I've got a couple of special special guests today, along with um, now a regular. So uh, we'll go to the regular first. Steve Phillippe, welcome back to Out on the Paddock. Yeah, thanks, Rob. And uh, yes, yeah, really good feedback from a variety of sources from our last episode. Certainly has been. We're really totally wrapped with uh, the response we've had and we're encouraging everybody to, to share the podcast and uh, subscribe to it and do all the things you need to do to make sure you stay informed. But uh, we're going to make it a little bit less about us, Steve, today and more about our special guests. We've got two special guests. We're going to be joined by Tim Edmonds at the back end of uh, our news section of Out on the Podcast. Um, but we've first of all, we're going to kick off with a very special guest, Janelle Phillips. Janelle is uh, joining us as um, somebody who's played an integral role in our first ever Women's Country Week, which uh, kicked off in January of 2021 in, in a spectacular fashion. And uh, Janelle's a former, well, not a former, she's a current WA Country 11 player looking to uh, hopefully maybe get one or two more tournaments in her shoulder that's just been redone from what she's telling me. So, uh, Janelle, first of all, welcome to Out on the Paddock. Hi, Rob. Hi, Steve. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's fantastic to have you with us, Janelle. We really appreciate it. So I'm going to kick off. We're going to talk a little bit about Women's Country Week uh, in this part of um, Out on the Bookkeeper. And I just want to sort of reflect back to January, late January of this year, when it all started, uh, the first ever WA um, Country Week, WA Women's Country Week. Just uh, maybe with some reflections from you, Janelle, how exciting was it for the players to be involved in this event being the first ever of its kind? It was very exciting. Um, I think there are a lot of women across, you know, regional WA who for a long time now have sat back or, or you know, helped helped the men's and the juniors mm. competitions happen. Mm. Uh, happen. Um, so I guess to get the opportunity to have our own one um, almost felt too good to be true, to be honest. I think especially because some of the competitions haven't even been running for very long. So um, from a Geraldton perspective, it was only our second year of competition. And then to have the opportunity to not only participate, mm. but to host it. Um, yeah, we were over the moon. Very excited. Janelle, I might jump in here. Um, obviously, uh, the players were excited. Um, the significance of the event, let's not forget it. It was 112 years between the first 
Men's Country Week and the first Women's Country Week. So I'm guessing the players understood the significance of this inaugural event. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was talking to a few people not long ago about, just for me personally, I think perhaps four years ago when I started playing cricket, I had a, a conversation with my two little girls who are six and nine now, and they just didn't understand that I had to join a men's team because I decided I was going to take the plunge and play cricket. Um, so the significance of this, I guess, is that there won't be any, you know, there won't be any kids around that are, that have to be surprised that there's no clear pathway for them anymore because it's just, it's there. It's all set up. And now I think that it's started. I can't see anything stopping this from carrying on for the next, you know, 112 years and beyond. Exactly right, Janelle. I think that's the thing that's got us all excited is that for so long we just assumed that men's and you know, boys, Country Week was the, the stable, but um, we broke the mould in January this year or you guys broke the mould this year with a, a lot of work that went into it in the lead up and it's so exciting for WA Country Cricket to now be able to say we truly are across both um, forms of the cricket, female and, and male. Um, that was obviously probably the, the highlight, just kicking it off, but what were some of the other highlights from last year's event that you'd like to to remind us about. I was I was there for one or two days and it was just excitement everywhere. But what was uh, what were a couple of highlights for you from last season's event? Yeah, there were a lot of highlights, to be honest. Um, even though it was, you know, pushing a year ago now, it, it I remember it very clearly. Um, there was a real buzz in the air when it started. And I know that, uh, unfortunately, a few of the teams, Bunbury and Geraldton, didn't get to attend the sort of opening night. However, you know, that was... Instead, we got to actually play the opening night under lights um, at Wanfella, which was just like the nerves were outrageous in the group, but in good in a good way, you know, the anticipation was high. So I, I guess for me, the first highlight was that opening night playing under lights with a, a full stadium. And, uh, you know, it helped that the stadium was cheering for our team as well. That, you know, that never goes <laughs> astray. Um, <laughs> a few other things though were, we had so many occasions on the field where even though the competition was fierce and it was, everyone was, you know, we were there to win. Everyone was there to win. But there were so many times where we could just have a genuine laugh um, with the girls in the other team. I remember there's one girl from, uh, I think she was from the Peel team and she just had us in <laughs> stitches. Um, and, and I guess just to be able to play competitively, but also you know, being the first one and all kind of like-minded. We're all just humans and we're all just people. And yeah, I guess the, the balance was really nice. That was a highlight for me that we could, you know, see each other as competitors, but mm. also friends. And, and, and our circles really, you know, increased. And, you know, we went and hung out a, a few times after the games, not too often. And I'm hoping that there'll be more opportunities for that in the future. But that was great. And I think the other major highlight for me was, uh, uh, there was one game in particular that I wasn't playing. Our team wasn't playing. We were sit back, sitting back and watching. And just to see um, the Wacker staff in the stands, you know, in our little, you know, country town watching this game of, of women's cricket and to see, you know, all the work that Ryan Hosking had done, I guess I just stood back and reflected for a bit. Um, and to see Avril, Faye and Angel Gray circling the ground and, and watching keenly and, and I could sort of see the cogs going in their heads and it was just... It was just really nice to see this concrete uh, 
stepping part, yeah. you know, stepping stone um, that, w- that goes from our little competitions to the things that these women can access and tap into. Um, and I, I guess that that was a really proud moment for me just to reflect and see all these important people around just watching these, you know, average people just go about their, their cricket. We might segue a bit more into that in a moment, but I've got to tell you, I've played more games of cricket than just about anybody on the planet and I've never got to play under lights. I was so jealous oh. of you guys last year. It was just about killing me to go, oh, these girls are so lucky to play under lights and it was a spectacular game as well uh, to watch. So looking forward to that again this year. So you've sort of mentioned, you know, the impact that it's made, you know, just looking around the grounds and seeing those involved. But for Geraldton in general, what was the impact, especially maybe now for girls or women women's cricket moving forward, being the hosts of the first ever uh, Women's Country Week? It was such a, um, I love this question because I think we, we took something really worthwhile and um, something that we can hold on to in the future because we were quite a new competition, like I said, but the way we started was with a, a group of friends who were quite committed to getting the competition up and going and we um we decided to spread ourselves out amongst the clubs, which meant there was a little bit of, you know, we were a bit disjointed, which was a bit sad, but definitely worth it to develop the competition. So I guess having Country Week that then brought us all back together and um, brought the camaraderie back, we sort of, it just made us gel as an association and a unit really nicely. And um, in the games leading up to Country Week, you know, training together, we would, I guess we would, it sort of broke down some of those barriers and we actually enjoyed each other's successes more. And we, we, you know, if someone hit a six off your bowling, instead of being upset, you're kind of like, oh, let's do that again mm. during country week, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that was really nice. And, and, you know, getting to know people from the other teams, that was really special. Um, but yeah, we were, you know, we were stoked to be able to, to host it. And of course, uh, we gave it everything we could to, I guess there was something extra special about wanting to win the first one too in your hometown. So, yeah, it was pretty special for us and I think it definitely motivated the players. Um, the improvement that we saw in such a small space was quite outrageous really. Um, yeah, but I think mostly just that uni- that unity that it brought, that was something really special. Um, thanks, Janelle. Great, great reflections. Uh, the country report, I think, astutely has, has given Geraldton a second opportunity to host this tournament um, you often learn things from year one to year two and I was just wondering what what those learnings might be and what we could expect in 2022. Yes I can certainly um, speak for a few reflections that we've had um, bearing in mind we've still got a working group and, and I'm not the be all and end all at all but um, just from my perspective um, we would love to be able to uh, improve the way that we got the teams together at the uh, the finale of the event. So last or this last season, um, there was quite a tight schedule on returns in terms of travelling. So the the final presentations we would hope this time can be with all the teams so that we can have kind of a closing sort of presentation um, because then that camaraderie, you know, that that we felt in the Geraldton team. Hopefully, we can extend that a bit more. Uh, to be within all the associations, which would be nice. Um, we did do like a, like I mentioned before, the bit of the, the opening night. Uh, not all teams could attend that, so we could possibly have a look at how we could do that a little bit better. So I, I guess what I'm saying is um, it, the first and foremost was that we ran the competition well, and I think that we did run the competition quite well. So now we can uh, focus further on getting the social aspect um, perhaps a little bit more inclusive. We are definitely looking at having more teams 
uh, in the competition this season. I think it's already been um, suggested that we'll have, yeah, definitely upwards of three or more teams entering, which is great. Um, hopefully an even number this time too, so we can get a, a, the fixtures happening easier. Um, and excitingly too, I've just, I just had confirmation last week that we've got a, a major sponsor on board oh, this great. year too, which is very yeah. exciting. So, yeah, so um, GMA Garnet will have naming rights this year as well, which is, that's just excellent for us and the community and, yeah, really looking forward to the impact that that has as well. Well, Janelle, absolutely. The excitement is already starting to build. I can, uh, I've, I've seen some of the ladies down at my cricket club, uh, Leshnault, and they're already talking Country Week and, you know, the BDCA are talking up that they're going to come with a better team this year and all that sort of stuff. So we're uh, we're really looking forward to that. Um, back end of January, out on the bookkeeper, we will make sure that we keep everybody up to date with um, what's happening with the development of that uh, program, Women's Country Week. Janelle, really, really want to thank you for your time today and uh, we look forward to uh, maybe engaging with you again closer to the event. Thanks, Janelle. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Anything to grow this great game and, uh, yeah, just to get more people involved because it's amazing. And we thank Janelle, who's uh, leaving us now, and we're going to be joined by Tim Edmonds, who's uh, out on a paddock, actually, somewhere in uh, leafy western suburbs of Perth. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll tap into Tim in a moment, but I'm getting a few visual cues here from my co-host, Steve, who is referencing the fact that I have actually used the word bookkeeper a couple of times in the title, so I want to assure the listeners this isn't a bookkeeping podcast. We are actually talking to all things WA Regional Cricket now, so uh, uh, I'm going to uh, fall on my sword on that one. We we are clearly working with a podcast called Out on the Paddock, so uh, apologies, listeners. Um, but most importantly, uh, let's welcome in uh, Tim Edmonds. Welcome, Tim. Tim is the uh, the current um, uh, coach of the WA Country 11 and has been for about four years now. And uh, we're going to turn our focus away from Women's Country Week and to all things Country 11 and the Country Cup. So welcome, Tim. Great to have you with us. Yeah, g'day, Rob. G'day, Steve. Uh, great to be on here. Yeah, you, were, you were true, Rob, the first time. I am in the leafy western suburbs, but obviously still dedicated to country cricket. Absolutely love your passion, Tim, and, and all the work that you've done. You're a, um, a championship-winning coach uh, of a few years ago, and uh, we're very uh, obviously proud of, of what you've achieved with the Country 11. Um, but we want to we sort of tap into what you do as part of that role, and I'm really interested to find out what are the things that you do most enjoy about coaching the WA Country 11. Oh, Pretty broad question, Rob, but yeah, it's, it, it just seems like yesterday, I suppose, I actually started in this. Um, but the players, I think their passion is the most infectious thing and the thing that draws you to it. I know when I started, uh, I'd, I'd been involved for a few years as the manager, but that sort of group was tiring and it was it was ageing a bit as well. A number have been on, uh, quite a few had been on a number of tours, some had been on only, only a couple and there was a bit of a bit of a changing in the guard and, and what we have now is just such a passionate group who, you know, live and breathe country cricket. They're, you know, they're great ambassadors for their clubs, their associations and and they just love playing together. I think that's the most thing that's obviously that I get that I get, get spoken about quite a bit with new players who come in that everyone really enjoys each other's company and everyone knows each other when they get those touch points where they can come together for it might be for a country cup game or 
or a trial game or, or a match in the Premier T20 comp. They're looking forward to seeing each other and actually play a part in each other's lives as well. So maybe just actually before I pass to, to Steve, who's got some questions for you as well, but just remind us and the listeners and those that tune into WA Country Cricket via Out on the Paddock, what it was Shepparton where we won the championships, is that correct? Yeah. yeah. And and there was a real leap, leap of faith there, wasn't there? That was a year where uh, the selectors went with a very youthful team and uh, and it paid dividends, didn't it? Yeah, I suppose from the outside looking in, it looked like a bunch of, bunch of players who were either underachievers, hadn't achieved anything, didn't have a massive standing, in, not, not all of them had a massive standing individually in what they've achieved in the game. Um, in country cricket, but I suppose they bandied together pretty well. Um, we didn't start too well, um, but I think we won the ne- yeah won the next seven games to to finish as the overall champions with a day to spare and, and topped it off with the one day title. It, gee, when you think about it, January two thousand and nineteen, seems a long time ago. It does. Um, but yeah. you know, a number of those players are still playing and still together and, and still a massive part of of our um, of our squad, so to speak, which obviously changes quite fluently. Yeah, firstly, Rob, I'm disappointed tonight. I'm not going to get any more tips on how to do my tax return on this uh, podcast, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll continue to listen and in good faith anyway. But, uh, Tim, on a more serious note, the, the sort of newly formatted belt-up Country Cup, um, how important is that, do you think, in assisting both the selection of players but also the preparation of our male country women players? Yeah, I, I know when we when we first started this competition in, in the, suppose the, the months leading up to... Shepparton in 2019. It was a it was a new idea. We had to sort of bring the Country Cup back um, to relevance, and you know a 50 over white ball competition was conceived, and it was it was basically seen as a bit of the the bridge between the country cricket, which they would play at their clubs, which would be you know traditional red ball 50 over and wearing whites as we know it, to a championship standard, which is essentially first grade cricket, first grade metropolitan cricket. It might be almost the same level as WA Premier Cricket. So we needed something in between. You know, we wanted to bring back that strong inter-association cricket and also pit the best players against each other and and test them out. So there was two arms to it. There was the arm which really prepared our best players but also brought some, you know, strong, passionate um, inter-association cricket back. And I think it was a massive driving force. I know you mentioned to me, Rob, when I think we won the the role that played in, in getting our players ready and and gelling together and and in the end of the day it was a you know i think it was a record-breaking country champs i don't think any other side has won seven straight games to win a championships yeah and one of the one of the things that i guess that has been somewhat sad is since that time we've had COVID, of course that's interrupted you know what could have potentially been a golden run with that group, and we're not suggesting that it can't continue. But uh, unfortunately, COVID has played its role. How challenging? How challenging has it been to run the Country Eleven program with doubts? You know, obviously last year was called off, and and some doubts around this year, as we called it out in the in the first episode of Out on the Paddock. The announcement at the moment is that the best that we can see for the ACCC is somewhere between uh, probably April, May, around that time at best. Um, how challenging has that been? I'd be lying if I said it was smooth sailing, especially last year. Um, it was it was obviously taken off the table quite early. The country championships with a, with a number of the underage championships and all that are run by Cricket Australia that flattened a lot of our group. Um, you know, it was a big task to I suppose lift the morale of our players and refocus them on, 
I suppose the cherry was going to be us playing in the Premier T20 comp, which we were once again serviceable in, um, you know, winning, winning half our games, which was what we asked and we're certainly a lot more competitive and we've probably seen over the last couple of years our, our T20 cricket has, has certainly improved in that space. But going into this year, you know, there was hope, especially when it was announced that the Barossa Valley was going to be hosting the championships and obviously since, since, since that time, Things have shifted again. It's quite nimble, isn't it, with COVID at the moment, how um, things are changing quite regularly. Um, but our, our players are quite realistic at the moment, but the light, is, I suppose, is still on for the chance of touring again in in April. But that's, I suppose, a lot of water to go under the, go under the bridge still with that. But our players took it really hard, and I have those conversations, that, especially after the way we finished in Toowoomba in January 2020 when we were, you know, lost a rain-reduced final and a number of our players who were involved in that just want to get back on the park and and I suppose a bit of unfinished business really but they're just being denied it at the moment through something out of their control so it can be quite frustrating for some um, especially those who you know just especially live and breathe it you know our leaders over the past two years in in Jeremy Wood and and Tim Hutchison as captains have been have been big in, in driving, um, I suppose our our standards and and, and bringing the groups together. So, and 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 Woody was, you know, really desperate to get back as well. So uh, you can just see the passion in our players. They they really they really want to compete at that level. Uh, Timmy, despite all those challenges, I think you've done a tremendous job keeping the group together, and you've had some strategies around that. But um, just looking at that group now, um, how do you think they compare to? The best country cricketers in in the country, and and therefore that the, the competitors that we're likely to come up against when we next uh, compete at this level. Oh, our strongs our squad has been as strong as it ever has. I obviously can't speak to met for many years ago, but our players are always looking to improve the caliber of our players in the country. You know, especially our top halves, you know, stack up as some of the best in the country. We, we saw that at the last championships. Um, I think we had five. Uh, five named in the All-Australian squad of, of 12 out of the state. So um, I suppose it's always important in this role um, and it's not just looking at the you know the best 12 or best 15 players that we know of in the state. It's actually looking far ahead as well. You look, you're looking at the here and now, but you're also looking into the future and that's you know liaising with our with our Colts coach in, in Ryan Hosking and and also looking a bit further back as well and even our underage country programs as well who could be the next player who's potentially 17 or 18 who could tour and and, and looking far far ahead because you can easily just fall as a as a, a cricketing state or playing in these country championships it's quite easy to fall off the perch and I suppose part of the job is minimising how far you fall and, and how hard you land really. So you've got to always keep an eye on, on into the future as well. Yeah. I, I think uh, good examples of, of the way you've done that, Tim would be um, just trying to think of some of the players, Luke Gollan, Michael Tassoni would be really good examples who have been involved in the Colts program for a period of time and are emerging as, um, you know, quality players at, at the senior level now. Yeah. yeah and it, it, that's, yeah, they're two really good examples. Stephen worked really hard to get them into the program over recent years and, it can be very difficult. It's probably not a, a job that it's it's not a traditional coaching role where you see your players weekly at training. You, you're consistently seeing their, their development. A lot of it's um, relationship building, um, touching base with them. There's li- there's limited touch points, so you put a lot of uh, faith in, I suppose, you know their um, their training standards and, and their choices they make and, and the competitions they play to prepare. 
Um, but I suppose being in touch and having a really good conversation and, and a really good relationship with them is, is absolutely essential to getting the best out of them. Tim, I uh, want to thank you for joining us today. We will probably uh, get you to be a, a regular from time to time to update us on where things are at with, with the Country 11 and in particular as we start to unpack and understand a little bit more about, one, hopefully that there is an ACCC and, and what that's going to look like, dates, etc. cetera. Um, but we really want to thank you for joining us on out on the paddock today um, and um, we do want to thank you for all the work and effort you've done with our, um, our Country 11 program over quite a, a long period of time now. No, it's been a pleasure, Rob. Thanks for having me and hopefully I can stay doing the job, Steve, for, for a while and, and, and don't get the flick. <laughs> there, there's a there's a pitch, folks. Uh, so uh, if you if you're tuning in with uh, with ideals of becoming coach of the WA Country Eleven, I think you're uh, got to stand in line oh, by the sounds of Rob, it. So, yeah. No, well, Rob, it is, it is a, I suppose it's it's a performance based industry, and I'll be honest when I say I, I've I've never enjoyed coaching more than I have than having this opportunity. I remember like long 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 time ago. Uh, former employee at WA Cricket, sorry, now uh, Tim Lee's got me involved with the country Colts and, and since then it's, I suppose, opened great paths and, and opportunities and experiences for myself and um, it's something I'll, I'll always look back on fondly. And the runs are on the board, as they say, in the classics of, of any cricket podcast. So uh, thanks again, mate. Really appreciate it. I want to thank Janelle again for joining us uh, in this session. Steve, as usual, thanks, mate. Uh, we appreciate your time and I'll give you the last word uh, before we move into the, the second part of our podcast today. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Uh, great interviews, as we expect. And uh, just to reiterate the dates for the Women's Country Week, uh, January 22 potentially through to January 25. It may be January 22 to 24, but keep those dates free if you're a player or a, or a supporter and that backs right on to senior country this year. So a really busy period for country cricket in January this year. It's great to have everybody back for uh, Out on the Paddock, episode two. And um, I'm really excited to introduce our guest, our legend, our cricket person that has uh, made such an impact over such a long period of time. In fact, of anybody that I know, he's probably got around the, the country of Western Australia more than most. Started in the Wheat Belt, spent some time in the southwest, moved up into the far north and currently resides in the Midwest. So uh, when it comes to those of us that uh, clearly have played a lot of cricket out on the paddock, this particular guest can uh, boast he's done it in a lot more places than many. Welcome to Out on the Paddock, Jared Marquis. Thanks, Rob. Legend. That's You're throwing that around a bit loosely, I reckon, mate. But thank you. Mate, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll stroke with whatever uh, I go with on this show. And, uh, mate, I'm calling it out. I reckon, I reckon you're a dead set legend and you, uh, you've got plenty to, to share with us today and I'm really looking forward to this opportunity to have a chat with you, mate. Thanks, mate. Yeah, it's an interesting concept with these type of things. I listened to the first one with Tuck and oh, now there's a legend, right? I watched him playing against the West Indies at the rec ground in the, in the 80s and, um, yeah, they, those guys, they were my inspiration, right, to play cricket. I wanted to do that. It did start in the wheat belt, although it was only a very short stay in, in Narragin, I believe. Do you want to sort of give us a bit of a timeline of uh, yeah. the early part of your uh, your life and career? Yeah, sure. Um, well, my parents are from different areas of WA too. Dad was born and bred in Katanning and Mum was born and bred in Harvey, as you know, Rob. Mm -hmm. And um, they ended up in Carnamar, just down the road from here for a little while. Dad was a stocky with West Farmers, 
Um, mm-hmm. So myself, my brother and sister were born in Narragin, um, me in 72, so I'm 50 next year. And uh, then we moved to Bunbury in 1978. And that, the thing that was really notable was that was right at the time the Cyclone Albi hit the southwest. So yeah. we got the yep. tail of that in Narrage and did a lot of damage out there. And then we came to Bunbury. And all I remember is the, um, the houses, all the old um, historical houses around the plug that had all their um, rugs and mats and things like hanging out over the balcony. And there's still <laughs> a lot of water around on the roads, around Queen's Gardens and stuff like that. It's amazing. Um, quite amazing scene. So we weren't sure what we were coming into at that stage. So, yeah, that's that's me, uh, uh, born in Narragin, but very much bred in Bunbury, I would suggest. So was Bunbury the first place you got a cricket bat in your hand or a, a ball in your hand? Competitive-wise, like organised, yeah, but no doubt in a place like Narragin you would be playing football or cricket on the street or at school and, and things like that. Yeah. So And mum and dad were just encouraging of us to do what we like, so it, it was really up to me and up to us what we wanted to do from a sporting background. Um, but definitely primary school, cricket was really strong in Bunbury. So I started at, well, it was the old Bunbury Central because we lived in um, Tingle Street in uh, now, down near the beach there, near the, near the Hungry Hollow Tavern. And I, I was sort of zoned to Bunbury Central Primary, which is now Bunbury Primary. And then we moved out to um, Coral Park. So that's just on the border of Withers and South Bunbury and over the back of the Newtonmore High School. So Adam Road Primary is where I went from year two onwards. And, and that had a really good... Um, cricket team in, involvement there. There were a couple of different teams in different age groups um, and under 11s, I think, was probably what it was. Um, and I played that as an underager. I think I've I, I got this really strong memory of playing on the concrete pitch at South Bunbury Primary School with um, kids that were probably two years older than me, but I really, really wanted to play cricket. For whatever reason, I just loved the, the cricket. And I just remember absolutely shitting myself the whole game. You know, I was eight-year-old <laughs> playing with 10-year-olds and didn't want the ball to come near me and was probably running away with the bat. And most people that know me probably still think I run away from it with the bat. But um, I just loved it. I just really, really loved it. So and from there, yeah. I just kept just kept at it. And, yeah, Peter Sillinger was involved back then. I, he wasn't my very first coach, but he certainly was the year after and for quite a few years from there. And I don't think there was any organised juniors for club cricket in Bunbury at that stage, I have a memory of us being in within the inaugural under-15 comp, which became a club competition with all the clubs in town. And South Bunbury was the club of choice because uh, Sillinger was there. He, he literally got us across with a, a few of the guys and he obviously knew that junior was really important to the lifeblood of South Bunbury Cricket Club itself. And then we just graduated into 17s and very much senior cricket at an early age. So so reflecting on Peter Sillinger, you know, a lot mm. of people who are listening in on this podcast right now are probably maybe a, 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 either a budding junior coach where, you know, the season is just kicking off as we, we record this podcast mm. and they're maybe getting into coaching for the first time. What were the sort of attributes, you know, Peter's a bit of a legendary um, mm. junior coach and you've called that out, out, out already. What were the sort of things that, you know, he sort of brought that, you know, even to this day, you employ as a as a junior coach, or or would suggest that people should consider. He's a pretty patient man, isn't he? Um, he's a very stubborn man. There's no doubt about that. Everyone knows that that's <laughs> dealt with him. But he's quietly stubborn. He, he'll dig his heels in and, and not give something up. But from that perspective, I mean, I I was never a gun junior. Like the generation of players at that age group, I was well behind them. I, I would be lucky to make a second Bunbury side, and I and I didn't play a lot of the. Junior Country Week or even the, the old Sun Smart Carnival and stuff like that because you just wouldn't make the top two sides. Mm. Um, 
so there's a few things there that I missed out on just because I was skinny and little and probably didn't have the skill for it. But what Pete developed in all the players was just a belief in terms of practice makes perfect. And mm. I was very much a practitioner of, I used to just, I, I just remember just bowling balls, even in the backyard, i just bowl balls. Mum and Dad had an old incinerator. Remember the old incinerators, the old um, mm-hmm. Besser block things? That was at the back <laughs> of the block. And Dad used to burn everything, like plastic, metal, whatever it was. He'd just burn things. It was a fun game. And I used to bowl at that over and over and over and over again. You know, I, I put a lot of the stuff down to my strengths as a cricketer in my senior career of being accurate um, and being able to consistently put a ball in the right area is, is going back to those type of things. So Pete was very big in terms of being able to repeat the same skill so as I grew and got stronger, and, and obviously the skill set was there, it, it then became uh, very very workable in a senior cricket sense or even an older junior sense. So probably under 17s is probably really where I came into my, my own. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we've kind of moved on with junior cricket coaching to it being very technical now and very almost scientific, mm. but some of those attributes of just patience and uh, understanding kids for what they are and bringing yep. the best out of them sometimes gets a little bit lost these days. Yeah. Um, Having said that, there's lots of things that we're doing now. Uh, I've been observing some coaching that my son's been going through of recent times and I'm sitting there thinking, I clearly don't know much about coaching at all <laughs> and what they're, what they're bringing <laughs> to the table just blows me away and it is brilliant. Yep. It's absolutely yep. brilliant. So, there's, you know, we, we can't always just go, oh, previous was better because in a lot of cases it wasn't. But Peter Sillinger certainly, you know, coming through playing in Harvey, you know, the word down the road was there's this amazing coach in Bunbury and, mm. and Peter Sillinger was it. Now, that also collided around the same time with another person that Peter influenced bringing into the Bunbury <laughs> area. Do you want to talk about uh, that particular person and tell the, tell the listeners all about him? I'm assuming it's Jack Birkinshaw. Uh, your assumption's good. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, gee, he was amazing. So even someone like me who would struggle to make squads that would be very much on the outside of it, um, Jack was really good on skill acquisition and skill development stuff and he was so passionate about it. He drove around that bloody horrible Kingswood around the southwest and do miles and miles and miles, but... Geez, he was enthusiastic and I'd, I'd hate to butcher his accent, but, um, you know, it was always get up there, laddie, and all this sort of stuff. He was he was an amazing, amazing man. He was so good for Bunbury cricket particularly. And, again, I just look back at sort of the, the guys that were just older than us and or just older than me and, and just younger than me and the amount of guys that he would have helped along the way is amazing. And, and there was some there's some super cricketers that are still going around now from that from that era and Jack would be responsible for a lot of it. So just for the for the listeners' sake, you, some may or may not know the name Jack Birkinshaw. Mm. So back in the 1980s, um, yep. it was Peter Sillinger who basically brought about the concept of investing with, uh, you know, an international-style coach from overseas. So Jack yep. rocked in from England and pretty much settled in Bunbury for a, a period of time and brought a different, I uh, guess, lens to the whole process of coaching and it was a golden era for Bunbury because of it, mm. um, a combination mm. of, of Peter's patience and influence plus his, his influence to bring somebody of the quality of Jack Birkinshaw in changed the landscape. So a lot, lot of lessons there to be learned and I think to this day uh, we now recognise that as being the forerunner of, of things that we see out 
in the regional areas on, you know, you could almost draw a long bow and say it was the start of the first cricket manager that we now have out in the regional areas of Western Australia. Moving on a bit now, you've sort of um, come into your your, your senior cricket Mm. um, career, so you're still lined up with South Bunbury. Who were the the big cricket clubs back uh, when you first started playing senior cricket and who were the the guys (laughs) that you walked out onto the paddock and went, oh, this guy's just going to knock me over or, you know, the the legends of of your time? Uh, So the the big rivalry was between us and Colts. That that was the massive rivalry and... Um, there was sort of a golden era for those clubs in terms of the amount of premierships that they won and shared during that period of time. I was really lucky that I came in the back end of sort of a, a period of six in a row for South Bunbury. And I think the majority of them were won against Colts. And we actually just had a reunion, must have been October last year, um, of the club and all the premiership players, which is amazing, not amazing day and night. Mm. Um, and... Um, yeah, I hadn't heard a lot of the stories from the early 80s, but th- there were games where blokes came to blows. So it was it was on. It was really on um, between those clubs. Um, <laughs> back then, Forest Park were probably pretty good at that stage too in the early 80s before they disbanded. Um, and then the clubs that were coming into it from the outer regions when they became Bunbury and Districts were uh, definitely the Collie size. Railways and Bullfinch were very strong, um, though they always struggled to sort of win premierships. They were always com- competitive. Um, Donny Brook with the Bedfords and and those sorts of guys were always really competitive, and of course the Harvey like that, that old Harvey Benger Association that then sort of put in a combined side while still doing their home cricket were always going to be strong, right? And I suppose my early days were trying to hide at the bottom of the order because there just seemed to be a plethora of fast bowlers everywhere. Yeah, like you could reel them off, Rob, couldn't you? I mean, that started yeah. with Bruno Italiano out at Harvey, yeah. right? Steve Bazo was no mug in terms of speed. You were coming off the older guys like Phil Nuttall, who was an angry man on the field, and he enjoyed making young blokes like me really worry about their safety out there. Um, Chris Kinnamont came in a little bit later. March Kazmarowski was around at that sort of era as well. Um, Kim Tucker, Pug Roberts, these two guys, they were nasty fast bowlers, right? And then you had young guys like Wayne Huxon. Remember Hucko? He was, he was rapid, right? Um, Brett Hansen up on the hill before his knees sort of gave away. Um, we had Dave Francis, who wasn't a tear away, but he was a very dangerous bowler, right? And then we were lucky to pick up Graham Porter when he came to town to be a teacher at Newton Moore. And he played for Australia in one-day cricket, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, I remember the, the late, great Peter Back telling us as young blokes that the fastest bowling that he had kept to in a spell was one that Graham Porter bowled on an evening late in the day Something upset him, and he was unflappable, right, Ports? He, mm. he never really got angry. He really showed much emotion. And generally you just think of him as a, as a lively bowler, but one that sort of did a bit off the wicket and swung the ball around. And back into this day still reckons he had to put his mark back about 15 metres and they were zipping around people's ears because some, <laughs> something had riled him. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there was lots of fast bowlers around. Um, and then I had guys like um, Jeff Barr, um, mm-hmm. Darren Moore and Darren Davis were really lively. I mean, Darren Davis was never looked like he was bowling quick and then he'd knock your head off sort of thing. He'd literally bounce you and you wouldn't know where it was coming from. Um, so there were those sorts of guys. Chris Waddingham came in later. Um, those sorts of guys that were, were were really quick and did a lot at state, country and district level as well. So 
um, yeah, that was the that was the thing that was the impression of for me in that time is there was just fast bowlers everywhere, like all over the place. Absolutely, and there was nowhere to hide, was there? Absolutely, it, it's the one when people ask me what's the difference, say, between playing cricket now in in the Bunbury District Cricket Association and. 20 years ago, it's the fast bowling stocks. Mm. It was just it was just like there was one after the other. You'd see one off and the next one would come on and he'd be quicker. Yeah. Um, you know, from my perspective, the fastest bowler or the fastest spell I ever faced in my career was from a name that you mentioned, the late, great Steve Bazo mm-hmm. um, at the recreation ground in Bunbury one day. Um, I was... I was literally begging him to get me out, you know, because I just, <laughs> no helmet and I just, you know, I, I, in fact at one point he clean bowled me and I was walking off and to my horror I looked up and George Goodwin was had called no ball. <laughs> and, and, it, and it had broken the stump in half and I remember walking past George and saying, no, I'm happy to go, George. I, I, I don't... <laughs> But I had to, had to go back and face him again. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just been it, it was an, an incredible era, and you've just rattled off some of the uh, the true absolute um, legends of of that particular era. Um, once you had sort of completed your Bunbury career, it um, moved on. I, I believe you had a bit of a, a, a spell in Perth. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, I suppose there was a period of time where I was still trying to work out whether I was university worthy or whether I was finding a job. And look, as a student, I was pretty lazy, to be honest. I was probably intelligent enough, but I just didn't have the good habits. The Probably the good habits that I developed was skill development and cricket didn't carry across into my study. I just didn't enjoy it, right? So um, I'd, I'd had a crack at Perth. I'd gone up and, and had, a, had a go at university, but pulled out um, within the first semester and came back to Bunbury. So that would have been, I graduated high school in 89, so that would have been 1990. And I was pretty keen to get away from home, to be honest. I really wanted to explore, but it, it just didn't work out. And and then one of the great blessings in my life from something that I probably failed at, let's be honest, is that I met my now wife, Melissa. So we've mm. just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary just last week on the 5th of October. And um, we started seeing each other in that little sojourn that I had back in Bunbury. But it was, you know, mum and dad obviously said, you've got to find a job or you're out, you know, you've got to find something or you've got to go back to uni. And I managed to get a job at Cleanet Gas. So, again, a part of West Farmers. West Farmers are a massive part of country WA, right? Yeah, um, And absolutely. particularly around that time. And obviously mm. dad had, had worked there for a long time. So it was seen as a good employer. Um, and I started work there and ended up doing a traineeship of sorts and that part of that was moving to Perth the following year. So Melissa, was she's a still a school teacher. She's actually a primary school principal now. Um, but she studied at, at the at when Bunbury University opened, the, the Wacky College at that stage, which then became Edith Cowan's. So she was one of the first intakes there. So I actually travelled back. I travelled back to play cricket um, in the summer and obviously see Melissa was a bit of a bonus. And then in the winter, <laughs> if I was playing football or at that stage I played a bit of Super League indoor cricket, she would come up on weekends. So we sort of alternated. Um, but that was one of the great periods of my cricket life was travelling down because a few of us were doing it from Perth. And the thing that South Bunbury did at that stage is there was a massive transition from the older guys to the younger guys around that period. But we still remained super successful. We were still contending and winning mm. flags and that sort of stuff at that stage. Even when you lose a Dave Francis and Gary Walker and all these sorts of guys that, that retired. Um, but we had two guys that really, three, three senior guys at that stage. John Jelliger, so he'd moved to town with Main Roads around that time. Um, Alan Watling had moved up from Albany 
and Trevor Davis was the big link from those older guys to the younger guys. Mm. He played through both eras and, and played mm. some amazing in some amazing cricket games and grand finals. So those three senior guys sort of held it together in, in Bunbury. And then there was myself and Darren Davis, we travelled back most weekends. And then David Else and Tim Sillinger did it a little bit as well. But Dave yep. and Tim were very much invested in grade cricket in Perth at um, Melbourne University and Subi Florit for Tim. I think we just saw it as very much our duty to marshal the club through the era. And Pete yep. Sillinger was effectively the A-grade coach at that stage. So that was a that was a big part of the travel. I know that sort of runs away from your question, Rob, but I just think that link's really important around the journey for me for cricket. No, that's exactly what we're, we're, we're chasing. We, you know, we, yeah. we're trying to – one of the things that we're trying to do through this podcast is to capture that type of history. So it's yeah. really important, you know, and as you've just called out, there's a lot of names there, a lot of people that influenced – you know, West Australian regional mm. cricket simply because they were so committed, like you say, to that, that particular club at that time and that particular yep. association. So, no, absolutely. So the last year I played there was the last time South Bunbury won a premiership. So 95, 96, that's the last year, the last season we played. And um, I just remember that as being sort of the full stop on on that sort of period of time. And Melissa and I were, were getting married that year and the plan was for her to move to Perth and then we, we were starting our lives in Perth away from there. So that was the end of country cricket for the time being for me. And I actually went back and played a handful of games at different stages. It was generally around country week. So when I was in Port Hedland, just skipping ahead, used to come back because Port Hedland was winter cricket. So we didn't play any cricket, mm-hmm. but Port Hedland lo- love country week. I like just absolutely love it. Um, mm-hmm. And I loved being back involved in it. So I, we'd go to Bunbury for Christmas or New Year. I'd get in a game of cricket with South Bunbury and and then go into country week, which was just a blessing to be able to sort of just get out and get the get the rust out. And yeah, that so it's always it's always sort of been home. And even uh, last year, uh, my young fella Callum ended up playing a game for Hay Park. What I Chris Waddingham organised a game for him leading into country week last year. So that was great to go down and just watch him play. And my Hay Park's not South Bunbury for a lot of the old South Bunbury guys, but it very much is South Bunbury because there's a connection there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So tell me a bit about. Cricket in Port Hedland. How does it, you know, how, how, for those for those who've never been north and played up in you know those sort of areas, how did how did cricket in Port Hedland work in the in the two thousands? Yeah, so when I moved to Port Hedland, it was in two thousand and four, the back end of two thousand and four, and I'd sort of rolled into town for work. I hadn't played cricket for two years, I think, but. Um, the Saturday Sunday cricket just didn't pique my interest. I, I, I think I was good enough. No, I know I was good enough, um, but where the level was, I don't know. Um, but the Saturday Sunday stuff just didn't tickle my yeah. box at all. So I wanted a yeah. weekend off. So <laughs> I ended up playing some Evan Turf for Applecross down the road, and I love that. that. That club is still one of you know part of my heart. And and then I went into Harvey Norman. So I went down a, a track of becoming a franchisee, which is what moved me to Port Hedland. But it meant right. weekend work, so I had to stop cricket. And I was only 30 and I I reckon I probably missed a couple of really good years of my cricket. So we moved to Port Hedland and I remember going to, I don't know whether I've been a smart ass or not, but I went to the recreation club because I lived in some flats just across. So, and I was playing pool and I had my Apple Cross Cricket Club shirt on and a couple of blokes sort of got into me and just said, I think you're a cricketer sort of stuff. And I'm just going (laughs) to, I haven't played for a couple of years, but I'm, I'm pretty keen to play. 
And a guy called Aaron Hamilton, who's now the PHCA president up there, he was one of the guys that ended up having a few beers with that night. And I really liked the guy and um, ended up playing cricket for the Port Edland Cricket Club for five seasons. And uh, what's it like? It's hard. It's uncompromising. Um, you've met the guys from Port Edland. You've probably played against mm-hmm. them in country, Rob. They don't. Mm-hmm. They very much don't take a backward step, and they take a lot of things personally on the field. But off the field, they have a bloody ball. They have a great time, <laughs> um, and they and they really back each other up, which is which is great fun. And then when I heard they were playing Country Week, I was just I was knee deep in. I loved it straight away. I'm going right. I'm not missing out on this. I've got limited time left. I want to get back involved in Country Week. So yeah. Yep. Um, and and that's again where we probably cross paths again. Right, Rob would have been at, yep. at Country Week in those times. So yep. yeah, it was it was a bit of a fun time. It was a learning curve, that's for sure. But yeah, I've, I've sort of developed that passion. I, I think very much in depth there at, at Port Hedland. It was a, an interesting period, I think, for Port Hedland and that region to try and find itself in cricket. And yet, right now, I, I don't think there's a, a region in WA that isn't moving ahead as fast as what that area is. It's amazing. You you maybe have played a bit more influence there than you know um, and certainly the people there now are doing amazing things. So the, the thing about any sort of sport in Port Hedland at that time is there was no such thing as junior sport. So there was mm. no development of players. It was senior sport only. Baseball was massive in the 70s and 80s in the Pilbara because of the the ability to play it under lights and, and the heat. And yes. footy is quite big up there um, yep. in, in winter as well. Yeah, so baseball was massive in the 70s and 80s and that was on a bit of a downturn. Um, but there was still no junior sport as such. There was a ju- bit of junior soccer and there was gymnastics, believe it or not. So our kids did gymnastics and a bit of junior soccer. Um, and that was the only sport that they played. So cricket was my thing. And, you know, Callum was only, no, he was only, well, well, he was 2002. So he was only three to you know, eight years of age while we were there. So, but uh, that was the thing that probably was missing in Headland because what I found when I moved to Geraldton is there's just so much junior sport and the kids tried everything, right? They, they needed to find what they wanted to do. And those opportunities have developed massively up there in Port Headland. I know they've got junior footy. Um, they've definitely got basketball and netball and um, junior cricket. Um, and Chris Ams on the on the Pilbara Cricket Association is doing a fantastic job. And then he's got real able assistants like Sam Mason in developing juniors and things like that there. So they, they do amazing work. And the numbers that are playing are astounding from basically zero. They've built it up from nothing. Yeah, so we, we – and we – we want to call it out that uh, the recently rebranded Cricket Northwest, as mm. they now uh, stroke by, yep. um, we're absolutely thrilled by exactly that. The, the development there, the things they've done with the women's game in particular, is absolutely outstanding. So we're uh, we're all applauding and, and celebrating what's happening in Cricket Northwest right now, and uh, look forward to the, the what's ahead. To sort of start to bring things to it towards an end. Um, you then moved to Geraldton and that's where you yep. we currently find you residing, including uh, uh, babysitting a uh, puppy at the moment <laughs> and uh, and I'll tell the listeners also enjoying a nice um, coldie. Yeah, got the got the stubby. I said to Jared, uh, you know, this is like having a chat at the pub and he's <laughs> taken that to heart and he's got the, he's got the coldie happening, which is great. I'm, I'm jealous. Um, Geraldton has become home. And, um, you know, in a, another conversation I've had with you recently, you know, you very much still count Bunbury as home, but Geraldton yep. is very much 
part of your heart now. And um, so where, where's cricket been for you in Geraldton since you arrived in 2008? So moved to Geraldton with Harvey Norman again, March 2008. And again, because I was, it was my franchise, I had flexibility that I could play cricket on Saturdays. And joined Towns Cricket Club on the back of Darren Davis, having been up here for a few years working as a cricket and football officer. So they shared the role six months of each year. And effectively, as soon as Darren knew I was moving to town, he let the the different people know and uh, I joined that club. And I took up a role as a junior coordinator very early on, Um, probably not the first season, so not eight, nine, but definitely nine, ten and onwards. And I've been doing that ever since. I'm still doing it now. Um, I really enjoy that. And I sort of upgraded all my qualifications. I did my level two with the WACA. And really, it, it drove that passion for that junior development. Um, and a lot of it's on the back of Callum, my young young bloke who loves his cricket, absolutely loves it. He and his mates just had a real passion for it as well. So I just wanted them to have the best experience they could. And we go back to Pete Sillinger, very, very much, very much what Pete lived and breathed. I, I, I couldn't have a better mentor for it, you know, or yeah, a better example yeah. for it. So... I hope I'm a good junior coach. I think I am. Um, I put it on. I put my success not down to winning games or winning premierships with juniors. I, I want junior cricketers to have a sustainable cricket career wherever they go. It, it gives them something in a country town to go to sport, doesn't it? So it does. It's been yep. so important for us socially. Yeah, I, I and the sustainability of junior cricket needs to be that we're developing senior cricket and yep. senior cricketers. So. A lot of the juniors that I've coached over the years play senior cricket now, A or B grade in in our town, or they've moved towns or in Perth, they're playing cricket down there. And hopefully it's from the the skills that I've I've been able to help them create and develop. Again, we're not teaching them, we're creating it. And the real proud moment for me was last year. So last season, towns won an A grade flag. And it's probably Mm -hmm. the first time they've done it without a lot of senior players. There's still a couple of senior players, but the main guys that had won... You know, we were in seven grand finals in a row and all that sort of stuff. So it's very familiar to the South Bunbury days, right? Mm-hmm. It was just really important that we had the next generation coming through. So a lot of the older guys had moved out and 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 moved towns or, or retired. And there was half a dozen kids that played in the A grade. I call them kids. They're 18, 19, who played in the A grade grand final that have come through junior development programs of mine. And out of all the 12 players, bar two, they were all towns juniors at wow. some stage throughout. So, yeah. um, again, our club is is competitive even when they're not as experienced because of our junior program. And the yeah. other club in town that prides themselves on their juniors is Wanderers Cricket Club where Shane Bidwell is and mm-hmm. Bruce Gillingham are members of um, mm-hmm. and very influential members of, I should say, too. But they have a similar profile. They want senior cricketers and they see it within their juniors. So we always want a strong experience for those kids and we want to encourage them with opportunities wherever we can. Great insights, uh, great insights, mate. And um, clearly for the Midwest, you've kicked some goals there and uh, we can see that in the results at Junior Country Week in particular of recent yep. years. And I know you had a, uh, a, pr- a proud moment a, a year or two ago with a, a win on the Wacker uh, for yeah. the, uh, the, the 16s, which was an amazing achievement. Um, clearly now your focus is uh, as chair of uh, Cricket Midwest or uh, the Mid- <laughs> yeah. Midwest Cricket uh, Regional Board um, and plenty plenty to work with there with some great people. 
Yeah, so again, this administration side of things, it keeps coming back and I keep blaming Sillinger for it. He's a pun in the ass, isn't he? Um, he well, I remember when I moved to Geraldton, there was a real sort of undercurrent of not hatred but definitely dislike for the whacker and also for the country cricket board, I should say, because mm. people just didn't have an understanding of what they did. And it's fair to say that the relationships here between us and Perth were probably very much fractured. Um mm. And Steve Phillippe could probably speak more about what that was prior to my involvement. But at that stage, we had a, a CCB rep in the Midwest that was based in Perth and effectively didn't go north of Joondalup because he retired down there. He didn't need to. He had been in junior cricket. He had been involved in junior cricket. I don't want to name him because I don't want it to be a personality thing either, Rob. Um, no. But And I asked Peter Sillinger, stupidly, stupidly asked Peter Sillinger, what the hell is going on and why is this a problem? And he basically said it's because you're not represented. Midwest mm. cricket is not represented on the ground because your rep is not involved mm. in Midwest cricket or Geraldton cricket. So mm. he strongly suggested that I talk with Brendan Joss, who was the chair of the cricket board at the time, Midwest cricket board, and put myself forward to uh, nominate for the position as CCB rep. So... I don't know why I did it, but I did it. And <laughs> I sat on the CCB for a couple of years with, with you, Rob, and, and others. Um, while that was in a, it was in a fair transition at that stage, wasn't it, yes, Rob, with it Peter was. sort of retiring and, yep. um, and others coming in and we're running through cricket managers like you wouldn't believe and stuff like that. But Pete's master plan, obviously, was to get the right representation in the regions. And it wasn't just Geraldton he was focusing on. It was other regions also. But really enjoyable and get to re-engage with a lot of guys that I hadn't seen for a long time. Um, from my absence from country cricket, it was eye-opening for me to have that connection to the Wacker and Flipper and his and his crew, and then the people at the Wacker, and and that's that's definitely helped me personally, and I think that's definitely made a difference in the Midwest because that relationship is no longer fractured; it actually thrives, and I think we're at a point where Steve Phillippe and his team and people within the Wacker, whether it be Christina or anyone like that. They actually want to know what we think. And I don't yeah. know whether that's the same for other regions, but they know that we're invested in it now and they know we give a shit. And yep. that means that our our opinion on anything is actually welcomed. And I, th I think we are active for the right reasons. We, we are good contributors to country cricket as a result. There's, there, that is absolutely for sure. And, and Midwest has been kicking goals for... for like you say, for a, quite a number of years now, and and it's a um, an absolute credit to yourself and a and a number of other significant uh, movers and shakers, you might say, in the <laughs> in the Midwest region, who've done a fantastic job. You know, we've probably um, you know been saddened with a couple of the smaller competitions through the Midwest. Um, you know, either demising or certainly on the on the on the lowdown, but yep. um, that. There are other factors that have quite often brought those into play, and we um, we just celebrate the fact that Midwest is is powering ahead, and we're looking forward to seeing how Geraldton, um, in particular, performs at both Senior and Junior Country Week again this summer. Mm. But we do need to bring all good things to an end, and I like sure. to end uh, this podcast. We've already started a bit of a tradition with Tuck in the last one <laughs> with uh, with a, a little. Uh, Little quiz that I call the super over. So we're going to have six. I'm going to I'm going to have the chance to do something I've done a few times to you over the journey. Won't embarrass me. No. <laughs> bowl, <laughs> bowl, bowl, bowl six deliveries at you in the form of some quick questions with some quick short short sharp answers, and um, and uh, then we'll bring things to an end. But uh, so I, so I, actually, I'll, just Rob. Sorry to talk over you, but 
if you bowled six six balls at me when I was a 17-year-old playing at the Harvey Rec, because that was my debut game was against you guys at the Harvey Rec, and we had Terry Eaton and yes. Slack Rogers as your opening bats, I think, and yes, a, a fairly yep. star, star-started Harvey side. Mm-hmm. Um, if you bowled six balls at me then, I think the result would have been a hell of a lot different to if you were bowling six <laughs> balls to me at a Masters Carnival or something like that, right, a, a long time later, huh? And, and many would argue they're no, they're no quicker and the run-up has become, <laughs> has has got even wider over the journey. But anyway, this is about you, not me. So, all right, let's start. Question one, or not question one, ball first delivery. Mm. Be- best batsman you ever bowled to and why? It, well, now we're talking country cricket. Murray Goodwin post his first trip to the academy. Yeah. He was a different batsman when he came back. He just did not miss a gap. I was lucky enough to snare him a couple of times, but how I did it, I've got no idea. Hard, hard to um, hard to get past Murray, isn't it? When mm. we talk regional cricket of the last twenty or thirty years, and yep. yeah, I, I gave up trying to bowl to him because he, <laughs> he used to just hit me wherever he wanted to. So definitely, uh, definitely post academy though. Before academy, he he struggled you, to power. You're a chance. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, all right, we don't uh, we don't necessarily look for an ego trip on this particular uh, podcast, but you're allowed to you're allowed to have a little bit here. Your best ever bowling spell and why? And you know, quite often I, oh. I talk about this to my juniors. Sometimes your best bowling spell may not be a seven or an eight for it could be just a, a, a lowly twofer. But for whatever reasons, you just felt it was your best bowling spell. There's two games that stick out of memory for the wrong reasons. Um, one was a spell at Country Week. It was against the Central Wheat Belt, and we played at Des Penman, and it was a Friday pitch, so it was a dust bowl. The ball didn't bounce above ankle height. So it was for, mm-hmm. for Port Hedland in C grade. Mm-hmm. It was a tie. Right. 98 runs apiece, and we bowled <laughs> all of our 100 overs in the game to, to, to play it out. So dour struggle, right? Must have been I, thrilling watching from the Yeah, well, line. from my side it was. I took seven yeah. wickets, so that's the reason why, <laughs> but it was a tie. Now, the ridiculous thing about cricket and how it goes full circle is I, we played Nolamara there in the suburban turf in A grade only a couple of years before. I took seven for in that game and bowled about 25 over straight from the same end, except we lost that game. So right. a guy that you know, Johnny Coolgis, who plays mm-hmm. in the 50s, JK mm-hmm. made 100 that day batting from number eight and a guy called, I don't know which Schofield it is, but he's tied up with the footballing Schofields. He hit 120. He averaged about eight in his career. <laughs> so he was batting nine. So they were seven down. I had all the wickets. We could not take another wicket and we lost the game. <laughs> and it's the same ground and they are the, like it's the old grade cricketer mentality, right, that the, you, you've probably followed those guys. Make 100 and lose, it's your best day ever. Taking yes. seven and tying and a loss is not your best day ever. I would much rather no. have the wins. So, no. But definitely that, that ground was somewhere I used to love taking wickets, love bowling at. So. Brilliant. Mm. Well, uh, that, that is the third delivery of the over. Right. Uh, favourite country cricket ground. So not in Perth, in favourite country cricket ground that you've played on over the journey. I do love the rec ground up here. You've seen it. It's a special yes. spot, right? Mm-hmm. It's a special spot. It, it's just a beautiful, beautiful ground, old grandstand, raised seating on one side and just a terrific cricket surface as well for batting and bowling. Um, but I also really enjoyed the rec in Bunbury, so I don't know what's in the name, but potentially because that's where I won my first A-grade flag. Um, but I just really enjoyed that time of year, like March in Bunbury at the rec ground. It just had a bit of 
something special about it. So, yeah, on, it on, a, on, a, on a toss of a coin, the wreck in Bunbury. We've all had that teammate over the journey, <laughs> the guy you play with that you just – you love to hate. There's no other word to put, another way to put it. You know, he's the guy that, you know, out on the field you kind of almost can't stand to go and put put your arm around him, but off the field you just absolutely love him. you got to name one. Have you had one over the journey that you can name? One? Jesus, yeah, we're going with one. Yeah. It, it has to be Shane Robbins. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I had a feeling you were going to go with paddles, yeah. The man doesn't okay. forget, he does not forget anything, right? Good, bad, indifferent. He doesn't forget anything. He's got this story about Pug Roberts nearly killing himself on a cricket field one day against us. And I played in the game and I still can't quite remember it. But if you get paddles <laughs> on, ask him about the Pug Roberts story, right? Because no doubt he's on your guest list at some stage and he'd be a gem in this, but definitely yep. paddles. Yep. Fifth delivery, you're going all right. You're not out at the moment. You've just got to last two more balls and you've uh, brought Geraldton home at Country Week. Um What's your number one regret that you would, if you could change one thing over your career, what would it be? I don't think I've got any, Rob. Good. Leave it at that. I, lo- I love the fact that you haven't. No, no good. I, I just enjoyed my cricket throughout. I, that was the one thing you had to do is enjoy it and yep. that way you you don't regret it. You, you hate losing, you hate doing badly, but they're not regrets. You always give it your best, right? So, yeah, no no regrets, Not not one. Well, we'll spin it onto the positive side for the sixth delivery because mm. I can see you're going you're gonna to get to run off the ground waving your bat because you've mm. um, brought it home. Mm. Um, what's the one positive thing that you see in, in junior cricket or senior cricket right now that you think is moving country cricket forward? What, what, what's an innovation or something that you've seen of recent times that you think, yep, country cricket's actually moving in the right direction with that? I think we need to – it's probably not – for the better of cricket from my perspective, but I think what we have to accept is flexibility. So Mm -hmm. midweek games, twilight games, night games and short games, T20s, which I hate, I absolutely hate, because it's very hard to give a kid a go in a T20. But I I think they see so much of it on TV and there's the IPL and the riches that individuals can get around the world. I think we need to embrace it. Um, I'll be kicking and screaming the whole way, but... Um, having access to lights here in Geraldton at Wanthella, and you've seen that under lights on a spectacular night at the ACCC a couple of years ago. Yes, yes. Um, we play there this Friday or under-17s, so that was one of the things we needed to do to actually get a competition up and running is the first three weeks are going to be under lights, T20s, colour clothing, white balls, and the kids are frothing about it, right? Um, yep. Probably acceptance is the, is the positive thing, Rob, but um, whether it's a positive down the track for cricket overall, I'm not sure. Good finish. We started uh, this episode two with a with a conversation with Janelle talking uh, all things ACCC and you've kind of brought it to an end, I think, for me right now. That is one of the most exciting and positive things that we've seen of uh, the last few years and certainly Geraldton play, has played and continues to play a big role in that with the growth of um, our brand new Senior Country Week or, or uh, Country Week for Women. So mm. We're, mm. we're absolutely thrilled. So great finish, mate. Loved every minute of this. Thanks for your time today. You've, uh, I think you might have got onto your second beer by the time we've finished <laughs> and uh, I've enjoyed every single second of it and uh, I, I hope that we'll see a lot more from Jared Marquis in regional WA cricket for many years to come. Thanks for your time today, mate. Thanks, mate. I'm definitely not done. I'll be around the place somewhere. I might be off the cricket field playing, but I'll definitely be around with the juniors. And I'm really looking forward to who is third, fourth, fifth in your rankings behind me because I think I've snuck up the board with a bullet. <laughs> I can't wait to ring those blokes and tell them that they were, they were bridesmaids. 
I have no doubt that the <laughs> Jared Marquis will do exactly that. Thanks, mate. Thanks Good for joining us. Thanks. Cheers, Rob. Well, there you have it, folks. That's episode two of Out on the Paddock completed. Thank you for joining us, and we want to thank Steve, Tim, Janelle, and Jared for making this a very special podcast episode. We look forward to you joining us again very soon on episode three of Out on the Paddock. Stay safe and play well. Thank you.